Amen. You may be seated. church from the darkness I was born to the darkness I will stay I don't know something like that if you have your Bibles go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 14 we're gonna be in verses 25 through 35 I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version this morning so if you have your Bible app or whatever um, that's where we'll be salvation costs you nothing but discipleship will cost you everything See, salvation occurs in a moment. Discipleship takes a lifetime. Salvation is something that God does for you. Discipleship is something you do with God. Sadly, many only preach a life of decision, not a life of discipleship. The result is when people hit hard times and life doesn't seem to be working out the way that they want, they become disillusioned with Jesus rather than devoted to Jesus. See, Jesus is not a salesman. He's not trying to market anyone, sell anyone, con anyone in any way. And as we read this passage, he's going to talk about the cost of discipleship. With some of the strongest, starkest language that he uses at any point during his ministry here on the earth. And he is absolutely brutally honest with us about what it means to truly be his disciple. See, a disciple is one who believes in Jesus worship Jesus, serves Jesus, follows Jesus, and obeys Jesus. Yes, believes in Jesus, but doesn't just believe in Jesus, but lives a life in light of that belief. So Jesus is going to ask you whether or not you truly want to live a life of discipleship. And he's going to essentially ask you the same thing four different ways. He's going to continue to pound the same nail over and over and over again. And here it is. The nail is this. If you are a disciple, do not quit. Do not quit. See, we live in a world filled with quitters. If it gets hard, quit. If it gets hard, it must not be God's will. If it costs you something, then quitting must be acceptable. See, people quit on God all the time. They quit on their marriages. They quit on their children. Some of us, we continually look for the path of least resistance. It's hard. And I need to find some other way to do this. But here's the truth, church. Everything that matters is hard. Everything that matters is costly. Everything that matters is going to hurt us at some point. And Jesus says, be aware of that and do not quit. If you're taking notes this morning, my first point is this. Do not quit. Luke 14, starting in verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him, him being Jesus, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. See, no one teaches about love as much or as well as Jesus. 
No one demonstrates love as well as Jesus. And there Jesus uses the word hate. And he tells us that to be devoted to him means we must hate our mother and our father and our brothers and our sisters, even our own children and our own life. See, many of us are probably asking, what in the world is Jesus talking about? What is Jesus saying? He's saying that a relationship with him needs to be in an altogether different category, far above and beyond every other relationship commitment in our lives. See, Jesus is worthy of our allegiance and devotion. No one can be as significant to us as he is. No one. See, Daryl Bach, who wrote the Gold Standard Commentary, said this about this passage. The call to hate simply means to love less. The image is strong, but it is not a call to be insensitive or to leave all feeling behind. Following Jesus is to be the disciples' first love. This pursuit is to have priority over family members and one's own life, which means that other concerns are to take second place to following Jesus. See, Jesus here is using the same language we see in the Bible all over. In fact, even in the Old Testament, it talks about Jacob and Esau. In Romans 9, God reveals to us when he says that Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. Now see, God was good to both Jacob and Esau. He loved them both, but God chose to work through the family line of Jacob and put him in first position of priority. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about in this passage. The Bible does tell us, and I want to make sure that we're very clear on this, the Bible does tell us to honor a mother and father. In fact, it's one of the Ten Commandments found in Exodus 20. And Jesus also in Ephesians 5 says that husbands must love their wives. Or in Titus 2, he says that wives should love their husband. And the Bible assumes that we as the image bearers of God and Jesus are going to gravitate to loving affection of our children. He assumes we're going to love our kids. But Jesus says that a devotion to him from us is in an altogether different category. Practically, what does that mean? It means that our relation, when we face relational pressure and we want to quit as a disciple of Jesus, we need to remain fully devoted to him. Some of us, maybe we've experienced this. We have parents that tell us, I don't want you to be a Christian. I don't want you to read your Bible. I don't want you to go to church. I don't want you to be praying. And in light of that, we have a decision to make which is what is more important to us, a devotion to Jesus or an affection from our parents. See, the same thing can happen from siblings. Maybe they make you feel awkward or guilty every time you come around. Maybe it even makes your holidays really, really awkward and uncomfortable because they make it so clear that they don't want you to be a follower or a disciple of Jesus. See, in certain countries and cultures, this is actually a death sentence following Jesus. If you decide to be a disciple of Jesus, you are committing social and familial suicide. Even in certain hardcore Muslim countries, they will hold, um, they will hold a funeral for you before you even died if you choose to follow Christ, symbolizing that you are ostracized and dead to them. In fact, some even take it farther than that, and they will go out and they will kill you in what they call an honor killing. And Jesus is saying, if you're really going to follow me, expect opposition. Expect ostracism. Not everyone's going to approve of the life that is devoted to him. He says that can even include our relationship with our children. They want us to bless their sin. They want us to pay for their folly or endorse their behavior. And because of him, we have to lovingly say, I can't. I'm sorry. 
This can even happen in a spouse relationship. Maybe you got married before one of you or, or both of you were Christians, and the one that isn't a Christian comes up to you and says, do you have to go to church? Do you have to read your Bible? Do you have to pray? Do you have to talk about Jesus with our kids? If you keep doing this, I have no choice but to divorce you. And our answer, it's got to be clear. It's, I don't want a divorce, and I do love you, and I'm not trying to cause division between us, but this is, this is the most important thing. I love Jesus above all else, and our relationship is secondary to my relationship with him. See, you're not God. You're not the Lord, and if you make me choose between you, you're going to lose. Can I ask you a question? Who is it that you chose over Jesus? Or who is it that you're choosing over Jesus now? Can I just be frank with you? If you're a Christian and you're dating a non-Christian, you've already made that choice. If you've caved to the fear of man in your life and you worry more about what others think about you than making much of Jesus in your life, you've already made your decision. By all accounts, committing yourself to Jesus includes committing yourself to the kind of opposition that Jesus himself faced. See, Jesus is no hypocrite, and when he asks you to do something, he's saying, do as I did. See, no other religious leader is able to make this request of us. That would be a cult. But see, Jesus, in his own ministry, saw his family call him crazy. His closest friends run away at his hardest time. Even his disciples, Thomas and Peter, denied him in his hardest moments. Jesus' hardest days were filled with loneliness. Family and friends and his disciples churned on him. And you can't say, well, I'll follow Jesus unless I get treated like Jesus. To be a disciple is to walk in the very footsteps of Jesus. And this includes all the way to our own death. Jesus says, if need be, pick up your cross and follow me. Can I be really honest? It, like, aggravates me when people use, this is just my cross to bear for simple, weird things. My car broke down, got to ride the bus. Guess that's just my cross to bear today. Carrying a cross is literally a death sentence in the worst way conceived by people that specialized in brutality. See, you would pick up your cross and you would walk through town being shamed, scorned, made fun of, thrown stuff at, spat on, cursed. And then you would walk up this hill carrying the very tool of your death. And they would plant it in the ground and nail you to it. And you would stand there as people mocked you, as your family weeped for you, as you're bleeding and you're up there for days urinating and having feces and everything all over you. This isn't some great religious death. This is death in the worst way possible. And Jesus says, if that's what it takes to follow me, will you be willing to commit to it? And so many of us just want to give so little to the one who gave everything. See, we live in a day of easy believism. Raise your hands once and you'll go to heaven. Uh, you can do whatever you want. And at the end of the day, Jesus will say, good job, good for you. You tried your best. But see, between your conversion and your resurrection is a word called discipleship. It's growing, and it's maturing, and it's showing love and devotion and commitment to Jesus. And Jesus isn't a salesman. He's not trying to sell you anything. He's not going to conveniently tell you all the benefits and conveniently forget to read the fine prints of obligation. He shows us when he says, I'm God, 
If you follow me, people are going to hate you and you might die. See, that's the cost of discipleship. And there was a day when people understood this as Christians. See, nowadays we live in a consumer culture where it's, I don't like the music. I'm going to go to a different church. The pastor said something that hurt my feelings. I'm going to go to that church. They have ice cream more than we do. I'm going to go to that other church. Can I ask, how many churches have you been to? How many decisions have you made? How many paths of least resistance have you chosen? How many times have you quit in your life? Some of us maybe have even quit right now. And we need to stop blaming other people for when we quit. There's this missions organization that I love that would do this really crazy thing that when someone would choose to become a missionary, they would make them pack up all of their belongings and put it in a coffin and they would sail to wherever they're going with their stuff in a coffin. And it would basically be symbolizing, I may live a short while, I may live a long while, but the ultimate thing is I'm going to die. And while I live, I'm going to make much of Jesus. I think that would be such a, such a cool thing for us to do today as Christians. When we came up here and we made a decision to follow Jesus, that we'd realize that what we're saying is, Jesus, I'm choosing to follow you to my death, whether it be easy or hard, whether it be soon or later. See, spoiler alert, I'm going to die. You're going to die. It may be soon. It may be a while. But in the end, we're all going to end up in that box. It's inevitable. But don't waste your life. Make your death count. Don't quit. Don't quit on Jesus. Don't quit on your spouse. Don't quit on your kids. Don't quit on your church. Don't quit on the opportunities that God set before us. Do not quit. Live your life in such a way that when you die, at least your children can point to your life to your grandkids and say, wow, what a legacy. What an example. See, because there's something way worse than death. And that's living a wasted life. There was one particular young gal who, when she filled up her coffin, went on the mission field, she wrote a letter to her, to her church and her pastor and said, hey, if you make sure that whenever you hear of my death, to please publicly read this to the church. The letter said this, Dear pastor, you should only be opening this letter in the events of my death. When God calls, there are no regrets. I've tried to share my heart with you as much as possible, my heart for the nations. I wasn't called to a place. I was called to him. To obey was my objective. To suffer was expected. His glory was my reward. His glory is my reward. The missionary heart cares not for, some, for what some think is wise. Risk. Uh, the missionary heart cares more than you think is wise. Risks more than you think is safe. Dreams more than you think is practical, expects more than some think is possible. I was not called to comfort or to success, but to obedience. There is no joy outside of knowing Jesus and serving him. I love you and my church family and his care, Karen. Now, I wanted to change the name from Karen, but, you know, I decided to be accurate, but we'll move on. I thought that was funny. Whatever. We'll, we'll move on. You're going to die. Don't quit. Do not quit. And don't think that I'm like reveling or lavishing in this message. This is very brutal for me. But I think it's important because can I be honest, in the years of my ministry, I've seen so many people quit. They just quit. It starts with maybe they quit reading their Bible. Then they quit praying. 
They quit repenting. They quit serving. They quit giving. They quit their community. And eventually, they quit God. They quit their marriage, and they quit their kids. And the worst part is, when they leave a legacy, it's not admirable. It's not something their children can point to their grandchildren about. Do you feel encouraged? (laughs) If you're taking notes, point number two is this, and you're going to catch on to a theme developing here. Do not quit. Jesus continues in verse 28. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Jesus is basically saying this. Before you commit to something, do your homework and make a plan. See, some of us have committed to far too much. We're not talking about seeing something through to completion or volunteering for something. We're talking about people that say yes to everything and they don't complete it because they're afraid to say no. And some of us, we just really have to learn to say no. See, it's better to do two things to completion than say yes to a thousand things that never get done. And Jesus is saying, before you start doing something, do your homework. Make sure you have a plan. Otherwise, you'll be like someone who says, I'm going to build a building or put an addition on my home. And halfway through, lo and behold, they say, we're out of money. We didn't make a budget. We didn't consult an architect. And now we're fools who are embarrassed because we can't get a return on that investment. We can't occupy that property. And now it just serves as a monument to our folly. Can I tell you, the landscape in all major American cities is filled with buildings and monuments like this. I remember when I was a kid and I was walking through downtown Portland with my mom. I was pointing out these buildings and I was saying, Mom, how long until these buildings are finished? And she kind of chuckles and says, those were incomplete and started before you were born. In fact, some of them even before I was born and they'll probably never be complete. Can you imagine starting something so big and halfway through realizing I'm out of money or we have the wrong zoning or you didn't plan enough and now you have this giant monument, this giant building that will never be finished and you look foolish. Do not raise your hands unless you're ready to see it through to the end. Don't raise your hands unless you're willing and ready to see it through to the end. Some of us, we need to say yes less. And all of us need to do our homework and we need to evaluate our lives. Asking ourselves questions like, what am I capable of? What can I afford? What can I do? What are my priorities? If I raise my hand, I need to make sure that I see it through to the end. And guys, do not quit. Do not quit. Otherwise, you're like a woman who, after the wedding day, comes up to her husband a week later and says, hey, I think we need to get this annulled. We need to get a divorce and separate. And her husband's just flabbergasted saying, but why? And she's like, you know, I look really good in white. I love cake. I love a good photo shoot, having my family and friends around. We're all having a good time. But... You know, this whole marriage thing, it's getting kind of hard. Your, your farts stink. Uh, you don't watch the same TV things as I do, and it's just not going to work. I think there's a reason that the Bible continually uses the metaphor of Jesus being the groom and the church being his bride. And some of us, were so guilty of living a life that's based on, oh, I want to I have a good wedding, and we're less concerned about having a good marriage. Because can I tell you, getting married is easy, but 50 years in marriage, that's what's hard. You raised your hands for Jesus at youth camp. You came forward to some service. You got baptized. You prayed the sinner's prayer. Great for you. You got married. 
Now where are you going to be in 50 years? Otherwise, you're like a soldier who signs up because he wants to travel the world. He thinks he looks good and green. And he's like, I like not having to choose what I eat or what I wear. And it's going to be awesome. And after boot camp, his commander comes up to him, hands him a gun and says, we're shipping you off to war. And he says, I didn't, I didn't sign up for that. Actually, you did. Actually, you did. And Jesus is making it very clear up front. Christianity is about the rest of your life. See, Jesus doesn't want a percentage of your life, a percentage of your money, a percentage of your devotion. He wants all of you, all of you, all of the time. And see, no one makes this kind of request but Jesus, and no one should. Jesus says, if we don't count the cost, we'll be people who get halfway into our ministry, halfway into our business, halfway into our marriage, halfway into our family, and we'll quit and it's going to be an embarrassment. And yet again, I tell you, don't go around blaming everyone else. Don't sit there and make excuses. Own up to it. And just don't quit. Do not quit. Don't quit on Jesus. Don't quit on Christianity. Because we're in a fight. Guys, we are in a literal battle, a literal fight. And this fight's for a king and a people that we love. And we're fighting so that we can love him and share his love. Jesus' next point is this. Do not quit. In verse 31, he continues, Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down, and for, uh, sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So whether any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. See, Jesus uses another analogy. He calls it a parable. He says, it's like a king who gets really, really mad, and he declares war on people. And as he's suiting up and as he's ready to go, he goes up to his advisor and says, are you ready to go to war? And they said, no. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough soldiers. We don't have enough resources. We're going to lose. And he's like, well, then what's the plan? Our plan is to surrender and hope for the best. And the king is embarrassed and has to be humbled going up and saying, I made a mistake I made a mistake. What have I done? See, you didn't really do your homework, and now you're going to quit. And some of us, we already have quit. What have we quit on? Can I just be honest? We're, we're, we're getting ready to be into my, my least favorite part of the year, and I'm not talking about Thanksgiving and Christmas. I'm talking about New Year's because we all know what's going to happen. Each one of us has friends that are going to post about how they're going to change their life. They're going to start diets. They're going to go to the gym. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. And three weeks later, we're all going to buy their gym membership at half price. Can I ask you, many of us made resolutions last New Year's. How's that going? Are we still following through or did we quit? See, disciples, they don't quit. The very root word of disciple is the same root for discipline because a disciple is supposed to be disciplined. Getting married... It's really fun and really easy, but staying married is hard. Getting saved is really easy. Being sanctified and living a worthwhile life is hard. Making babies is a lot of fun. Raising them is really hard. Trust me, I can tell you all about it. And guys, can I just be honest? That's life. That's, that's just how life works. And Jesus isn't lying to any of us and saying, come with me. It's going to be super easy. It's going to be a lot of fun. 
See, Jesus doesn't just go around magically fixing everything. Jesus just makes our suffering and our death purposeful. He makes the suffering and the pain and the hardship and the sacrifice, he makes it meaningful. And it's a lot like that battle we talked about. We have a real enemy. There's a real war. There's a real conflict. And there are some real casualties out there. And there are real quitters. And I implore you, please, don't be one of them. I'm attending Bible school right now, um, as you do when you want to preach the Bible. And uh, one of the things that I studied to get ready for a paper was the topography and geography and the history of a region called Galatia. Some of you know it from the book of Galatians. It's, in fact, today, modern-day Turkey. And something that I learned about the Galatians over the years in their ancient times was really interesting. See, they never lost a battle in ancient times. They never lost a battle. And I was, like, really intrigued, so I looked into it. And what caught me off guard is they're saying this was one of the least strategic areas to hold war. It was flat. There's no mountains. There's nowhere to protect yourself. So I'm thinking... They never lost a battle, and they're at a huge disadvantage. How does this happen? Well, they would, every battle they would do this. The, the warriors, the soldiers would grab their families, their wife, their kids, everything that was theirs, and take it up to the front lines. And as they're getting ready to go to battle, they'd look their wife in the face and say, I'm going to war now. If I lose, you're going to be somebody else's wife. And they'd look at their kids and say, I'm going to war now. And if I lose, you're most likely going to be somebody else's slave. And then they would go off to war their families would go home. And I think something that happened is if you have to look your family in the face as you're going to war, you start to think a little differently, don't you think? As we're going to spiritual warfare, we got to think through that we're looking at people on the other side that are far from God, and we're going to war for their very souls. We're saying, we, we serve a kingdom that we love. We serve a king that we love, and we're fighting for the people that think they're our enemies out of love. And you just begin to fight a little differently. And can I just be honest? This, this is in my notes, but this was something like I was thinking about last night, and it's not anything profound or anything that Jesus said. I just think it's kind of important, and I have the microphone, so you're going to hear about it. <laughs> the modern... The modern-day uh, replacement for this, which really drives me nuts, and it's, it used to be primarily men and boys, and now it's actually a lot of ladies, too, is they replace this with video games. And they spend a lot of energy and a lot of time and a lot of hours, and, and they just work at video games, and they want to get the high score, and they love being soldiers and going off to war and saving princesses and fighting dragons and, and freeing people. And they're really proud, but can I tell you, at the end of the day, it's all worthless and it's meaningless. And how much better would their lives be if they got off the couch and they went and did something with their lives? See, what they're looking for there, it's not found in those video games. It's found here in the Bible. We serve a real king and a real kingdom, and there's a real war. And if we would simply just get off the couch and live a life of legacy, what a difference we can make. See, if you want to do something, get off that couch. Unplug that electronic. Give your life to Jesus and find some other people and begin to do something that actually matters. Leave a legacy for, for women and children and generations, not just the high score on some stupid video game. It's so amazing to me that people are so intrinsically looking for something down deep. 
that they'll play a video game trying to defeat an enemy and save a princess when all of that is found in the Bible. If you want to be part of that kingdom, you've got to get off the couch and you've got to follow your king. And you can't quit. You can't quit. You've got to fight differently. You've got to get up and you can't quit. See, in history, some of the greatest leaders that would go off to war, they would sail their ships to new lands. And then as soon as they got on land, they would make their soldiers burn the ships behind them. And they'd say, there's no going back. We either go forward and we conquer or we die. And as Christians, this has to be the attitude that we have today. We have to get past the default mode of the human heart, which is to live for selfishness and laziness and for quitting. And being honest, some of us are here and we've already quit. And some of us would say that we're a Christian and we're going to not live through to the end. And let me just say this. Can I just be honest? All the slots of hypocrites are filled up. There's no more room, so don't bother applying. But we, what we really need are more disciples because this world isn't lacking in hypocrites and quitters. It's lacking in disciples. Jesus' last point is this. Do not quit. We're going to continue in verse 34, and some of you have, have heard this passage, but maybe you haven't seen it in this light. See, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use for either the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. Who has ears to hear? Let him hear. Now, see, in those days, salt was a little bit different. You couldn't just go to the store and get your little kosher shaker. They'd go down to the Dead Sea, and they would scoop out all these minerals. And in the midst of those minerals would be salt, but there would also be all these other things. And over time, as they would use the salt, they would use it, scrape off the leftovers, and add it to the pile and use it over and over again. And eventually it got to the point where all that was left was these other minerals, and there was no salt, so it would lose its taste of saltiness. Jesus is saying, what good is the salt that isn't salty? What good is the salt that isn't truly salt? Because see, salt was used to preserve. Salt was used to enhance flavor. And if salt loses its saltiness, you would throw it on the manure pile and it would help begin to cause fertilization. And Jesus tells us in this passage, we're supposed to be like salt. We're supposed to be preserving his kingdom. We're supposed to be enhancing the life of others. If nothing else, we're supposed to be okay with being thrown on the manure pile to be fertilizer that something good might come of it. And I'm going to say something that's going to hurt a lot of our feelings, and that's okay because I think it's important. Some of us, we're honestly just being worthless. And I know immediately some of us, are, are, our walls are up and we're saying, no, 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 I'm a snowflake, I'm special one of a kind. God's granting me special special uniqueness and he loves me and he's chosen me and that's all true. Which makes it really sad that you're being worthless. But see notes how you don't understand. I was made in his image and likeness and I have value and I, he loves me. You just don't understand. And I say, that, that is so true. You are made in his image and likeness and that's what makes it such a tragedy that you're being worthless. See, because Jesus gives you his image and likeness but worthwhile living is something that you have to commit to yourself. So can I ask, how's it going? Does your life make a difference? Does it count? Who are you serving? What are you giving? Where are you pouring yourself out? What kind of legacy are you hoping to leave? 
because it really does matter how you live your life. It's not just accept Jesus and go to heaven when you die. It's about being a disciple all along the way. That's what's really important. And so many Christians don't do so little for the Savior who gave them so much. How about us? How's our Bible reading going? How's our prayer life going? How's our repentance and sin coming? How's our spirit-filled zeal and devotion? How's our financial giving? Where are you serving? Where are you helping? Are you accomplishing anything? Are you completing everything? Or have you already quit? Can I just be honest? The truth is, we're not going to make it home. Because we were designed and created to be in community. We're not going to do it alone. We'll not see this life opportunity and obligation to completion by ourselves. It just won't happen. This is where God puts a community around us. That's why I love the church so much. Because as we get together and we sing and we hear from the word and we rebuke each other, we point each other in the direction of Jesus. We begin to draw closer to each other and to him. And I think we've all been there where we begin to look around and say, hey, I haven't seen so-and-so in a while. Where are they?
legacy that's left behind to matter. And I love Jesus. He's so brutally honest with us and he warns us of fruit. And it's so miraculous to me that Jesus, who lives this really hard life and shares this really hard word and makes these really high expectations, is the man that over the years has brought in billions of people. What a challenging word for us today. The cost of discipleship, counting the cost, saying what, what, uh, what am I willing to do to follow Jesus? And, uh, and as, as we, we think about these things, we're talking about spirit of disciplines, developing spiritual disciplines in our lives, saying as a follower of Jesus, day to day, this is what this pattern, this rhythm is going to look like in my life. I, was just, I just got to go upstairs and hang out with the kids' church for a few minutes during the second service. I was in here for first service, and I got to see what was going on with kids' church. It was so cool. And one thing Charity told the kids today I thought was so good and applies really to what we talked about today is she said, guys, practice doesn't make perfect. She said, Practice makes permanent. And the things we practice, the practices we take on, spiritual disciplines, will make permanent in our lives things that last. And so we need to, to, to devote ourselves to developing these spiritual disciplines in our lives, saying, I'm going to daily be pursuing Christ. I'm going to be committing myself to the community and the followers of Jesus in, in unity. I'm going to be uh, faithful in, in, in communion and, and all these things. So uh, just a, a really strong, awesome thing that Charity shared there. So thank you, Pastor Ty, for, for bringing the word today, a challenging word to be sure. Um, Hosanna, if, if you'll join me, we've got a few announcements we want to share with you before we go today. Some really cool things coming up. Speaking of Pastor Charity and her team, who do an awesome awesome job up there. I am so excited about what's happening. They are, they are just going forward for Jesus up there. The kids are hearing some great things. Um, they are building their team right now. And so today, following this service, 
they are having a kids ministry team training session. So right as soon as we dismiss here, hang out in here, and she's going to have a training session. It won't be long, but also you're getting a lunch out of it. So stay behind. They're going to feed you lunch, and they are going to be building their team. Because in order for us to be a generational church, we are a church that reaches young people. We're a church that, that, that I want to see our senior citizens serving children and growing children say, I want influence. This is an awesome place to have influence in young people's lives. I want to see youth having influence with children, all these different things. So come to this special training session. It's going to be today for probably not more than an hour or so. I would say probably less than that. And there's going to be free lunch. So make sure you're part of that right after the service. You know, one of the things Pastor Ty spoke about today was the importance of being in community with people because it's, it's the coming alongside of other believers that encourages us and strengthens us as we practice the discipline of being disciples of Christ. Amen. Amen. And so this announcement is for the ladies of New Life Church. On October 23rd, we are having our fall women's event, and we are so excited about that. Our team has been hard at work putting together a fun morning. Many of you got an invitation from me or from a member of our team, but if you did not get that piece of it, that piece of paper, that invitation, please consider this your personal invitation from me to come and join us. October 23rd at 10 a.m., that's a Saturday, we'll be gathering right here in, and we'll be using the coffee shop in the lobby, and we're, we're just going to get together for a great time. We'll have, we'll have an encouraging devotional that we'll hear. We'll share delicious food. I think it says sweets and savories. That can easily be uh, more further described as just some fantastic fall goodies and savory treats that we'll have available. And then something that's really fun that we're going to be doing is together, Vanna White, if I can call upon your assistance, we're going to be making these really cool wood signs. If I can make a fence board look this good, I Hosanna made these. Hosanna made Sandy, these. That you can do it as well. I've heard from a and few Sandy people made these. that you're not feeling very crafty. You guys, these are adorable. Um, Thanksgiving and Christmas is often a time that we welcome people into our homes. Uh, our family and friends come and join us, and so I'd like to invite you to come and uh, be crafty with us. We'll have lots of different colors of um, stain and fonts and colors that you can choose from. So this next part is super important. We're going to want to know that you're coming because we've got lots to prepare for. Sign up in two ways. One, in the connection card that we'll have that we'll go through together. Or two, if you are not wanting to use your connection card for that, we've made available a sign-up sheet on the Welcome Center. So stop by on your way out and do that. We also have invitations that we printed. Some of you have those in hand. Grab a couple extra. Invite your mom, your sister, your coworker, your cousin, your older daughters, your friends, the girlfriends in your life who make life so sweet. I am a girl's girl. I'm betting that you are too. Friends just enrich our lives, don't they? So come to this. Come make friends. Be in community with us. Uh, the cost is $10. We'll take that at the door. But please, please, please sign up. We want to prepare for you. We want to know you'll be there. And if you can't afford the $10, let us know. We will make sure that you can be there. We will make it happen. So, um, But I, I think it's a, an investment well worth making. It's going to be a great I time. Agree. One week later, on the 30th, is a seniors' night event. Well, we don't have the official time yet. Pastor Todd said, don't give a time yet. I need to know when the duck game is. So... To be determined, one week later on the 30th is the Seniors Hymns and Trivia Night. We're going to have gospel singing. We're going to have 70s trivia. It's going to be potluck style, so bring something to share with everybody. And uh, Todd and Christine are going to share some travel stories, some pictures, some stories from their travels. Um, and uh, I've been asked by literally multiple people that are not yet seniors, can I come? 
Yes, you can come, okay? So this is not just for those that are 55 and up or 65 and up. This is for anybody that wants to come. I think it's going to be a really, really fun event. So we will get the time out to you as soon as Pastor Todd knows he can watch his football, and uh, we will let you know when that's going to happen. And finally, October 31st, that is our Dress Up Sunday. We're inviting the kids of New Life to come to church in their costumes. But as we were talking about having the kids come in their costumes, several adults said, I would like to dress up also (laughs) on the 31st. So if you would like to take part in a group costume or a family costume, you are welcome to do that. That is Sunday morning during both services, 9.30 and 11 a.m., Dress Up Sunday, October 31st. And we'll give away prizes. We're giving away prizes. We'll give away prizes for best costume as well as maybe best like family costume, like a full family situation. So make sure you, you sign up for that. Sounds good. All right. Thank you, honey. Um, right now we're going to receive our tithes and offerings, but before we do that, we'll do our connection cards. So everybody, get out your cell phones. You can aim them at this QR code. You can go to nlcchurch.com slash connect, or you can grab one of the paper slips that's in your seat backs right there. So grab one of those. We're going to fill it out together. Let us know you were here. If this is your first time, mark that box because we will make that donation on your behalf as a way of saying thank you for being with us. Um, we also... Would love it if you'd share your story there. Let us know what we can be praying with you about or a miracle that God's done in your life. When we say we pray about it, we don't just say that and then take them and throw them in a pile and recycle them. We send this out to our prayer team. Our prayer team prays over this. Our elders pray about it. Every every uh, Wednesday morning at 6 a.m., we get on a prayer call and we pray over what's on these prayer cards. So let us know what we can be praying with you about. Write it down. We will agree with you in prayer. All right? So right now, ushers, if you'll prepare yourselves for giving, um, come forward. Um, I'm going to pray over this. Let me tell you that uh, a couple weeks ago, I came to the church. I was honest with where we were at. I said August was a challenging month. And I'm going to say that the church responded in an amazing way. In the next week, we saw just an amazing response. We were back on track. So thank you for your faithfulness in giving, getting that rhythm of obedience and, and discipleship and giving. It's, an, it's, a, it's a command of Christ, and we are um, developing that in our life. So thank you for your giving. So, Father, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. It's your goodness, God, that gives us, uh, brings us to repentance. It's your goodness that draws us to uh, eternal life, that we have hope in you. And that one day, yes, we will draw our last breath, but we have eternity to look forward to and eternity that we live for. And we thank you for it, Jesus. And right now we invest in eternal things, things that won't be destroyed by, by time and age and rust or thieves steal it, but things that will last forever. We thank you for it, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. Let's give. All right, church. Let's stand together and we are going to dismiss. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day you've given us. The joy of the Lord is our strength, and we thank you that we have victory in your name. I pray that as we go today, you would go before us in all things, that we would experience your presence, your peace, your joy, and that we would live fully for you and for your glory, we pray. And all God's people together say, amen, amen. God bless you, New Life. Have a wonderful, blessed week.